So today we are concluding our, our series titled Hebel. Um, we've studied our way through Ecclesiastes. We've looked at all the different ways, uh, again, that, that he describes here in this book of, of ways that we try to fill our, the empty void in our lives. And the reality is that we are created in God's image, right? That we are created for a relationship with God. And, and yet when that relationship is broken because of our sin... That, that it leaves a void in our life. And, and in this book, right, in Ecclesiastes, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, um, you know, literally dove into everything the world has to offer, right, and saying what will fill that void. And, and yet we see, uh, you know, throughout these last weeks that, that he addresses all kinds of different things that, that our world today continues to pursue, just like they did thousands of years ago when he wrote it. Uh, we started with week one with just some intro thoughts, and we're going to kind of go back and review some of that today as we conclude the series. Uh, and then week two, we looked at success and how, again, worldly success versus godly success. And he kind of draws that parallel uh, throughout the book. Then in week three, we talked about pleasure and wealth, right? And literally look at the, the list that he describes um, in, in Ecclesiastes of literally the world's definition of a life well lived. Right, of the next good time and of, of wealth. Right? And again, how it was so empty. He said it was just so meaningless. Right, It was Hebel without God. And then in week four, we talked about justice. Right? How that's again, has been a buzzword in our culture as of late. And, and yet how we um, see how God defines justice. And, and see again how, how he sees you know, um, that God is a just God. And that we have that longing for justice because that's who God is, and that's how God made us. And then last week, we looked at, at notoriety and position, right? Fame, right? Power, the things that our whole world just seems to be chasing after all the time. And, and yet, um, again, his conclusion, right, was that it's all meaningless. It's all hebel. Again, hebel is that Hebrew word um, that is used over and over again throughout Ecclesiastes uh, for meaningless, it's empty. So today I want to go back and kind of review some of the things we looked at in the first week. It's, it's been six weeks ago. Even if you heard it, right, then you might have, have forgotten. Um, and just we look at some of the structure of Ecclesiastes um, within the book. Um, that It is uh, written from two different voices. There are two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. And they're like two sides of a coin. Okay, we see first off is we hear from the author. Okay, the author opens the book and closes the book in, in chapter 1 and, and chap the end of chapter 12. And the author comes with a big picture thinker and he points towards the positive. He's kind of the narrator of the book, right? He, he opens it and closes it. And he really comes from this perspective, right, that, that the world can be a good place. Okay, now, the, the main voice of the book uh, is self-identified in the text as the teacher, and the teacher goes off on these rants through uh, 1-3 all the way through 12-7. And, and we hear all of this, uh, again, these, these ramblings. I mean, really, and as we've seen, as we've gone through it, he just bounces from topic to topic throughout the entire book. And, and yet it's the teacher's uh, voice that we hear through most of it. And, and yet he comes, he's the other side of the coin from the author, right? He, he is a skeptic and a pessimist. He is a, a, a cup half empty type person, right? Because he looks at the world and the way that it works, right? And just sees how 
completely hebel it all is. Right, and as we look at this, we, we see, again, just the overall arching thesis of the book. And, and it is presented by, um, by the author. Okay? It, it's, it's Ecclesiastes 1-2 and also 12-8. It's exactly the same verse at both ends of the book, right, where he says, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Remember, this is the optimistic person talking, right? Again, that word meaningless, it's translated as meaningless in the NLT version. Um, this is, uh, a, the, the Hebrew word is, is hebel. Okay, again, the title of the series. This word is used 38 times throughout the, the entire book. It's just over and over and over again. We see it um, come up all of the time. Um, this is not an easy word to translate. I mean, there's a lot of variation between different translations of the Bible. Okay, the NIV and the NLT translating it as meaningless the King James Version and the NRSV translate it as vanity. Okay, and again, this is a very um, complex idea behind this word. Um, a lot of the connotations, again, are lost in translation, just like a lot of words between languages. So here's the full definition of the Hebrew word hebel. Okay, it is emptiness or vanity, something transitory or unsatisfactory. It's like smoke or vapor. It's beautiful and mysterious, an enigma. It's a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. Again, we see like a smoke vapor, like it's there, we see it, but yet when we grasp for it, it's completely empty, right? There's no substance, right? It's those things that we look at, we're like, it just doesn't make sense. It's those, those questions that just don't have good answers, right? It's those times when we just wonder and ask the question, where's God? Because this is terrible. Right? And it, it's, again, it's all summarized in this word that Solomon uses over and over and over again in the midst of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's Hebel. It's the word we use when we just can't explain it. And yet, it's completely empty. Again, the... the, the the important thing as we studied Ecclesiastes is to remember that Ecclesiastes is not a book about God, right? That this book of, this book of Scripture is written from a completely different perspective than most of Scripture, right? Most of Scripture is written from a theological view, right? A study of who God is and how he interacts with his creation. Ecclesiastes is not written from that perspective. It is written from a very different perspective. Ecclesiastes is a book about human ideas, it is an ideological book, not a theological book. Meaning that, again, it dives into a bunch of human ideas and, and wrestles with ideas that we all come up with on how to survive in a world that is completely hebel. And yet we see the conclusion, right? Is It's all hebel. Again, it's not written from, uh, from a perspective about who God is. It is written from the ideological perspective of just humans wrestling with human thought and how messed up our world is. Again, all this to say we, we get to this place this morning where we're going to conclude, right, um, this series, this study, um, as we look at um, the, the last um, text, the last passage in this entire book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me. Uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Again, if you're here with us in person, 
And don't have your own Bible or Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. And you'll notice the page numbers there where you can find it in those Bibles. With us online, again, hopefully you have your Bible with you as well. If not, you can just listen as I read it. But we're going to read, again, the concluding remarks, again, coming from the author here uh, in Ecclesiastes 12, um, 8 through the end of the book. All right, Ecclesiastes 12, picking up verse 8, it says, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. And here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So as we read these concluding thoughts, right, these, these summary um, words, right, of the author, as he, again, reflects back on all the words of the teacher, um, I, I want to point out that the, the author gives us some just concluding advice. In fact, he gives us three very specific points of advice. Regarding everything that the teachers presented. And again, we, we've, we've left no stone unturned, right? He's gone through, he's, he's really encompassed all of life, all of the world. I, I mean, all of the hard questions, all the easy ones. I mean, he's, he's addressed them in some way. And here's the piece of advice. He says, now as you've gone through it, you get it. Here's the way to move forward. Okay, some things to never forget. Okay, the, the first piece of advice that the author gives us in verses 9 and 10 is to remember that words are powerful. Okay, that words are powerful. That words really matter. Okay, the way we speak, right, the things that we say, um, the, the connotation behind our words, these are all incredibly powerful. Now, we know this to be true, right? We've all felt the weight of, of powerful words. In fact, we, we all, we've heard the adage, right? The, the old adage, right? Of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? We, we, we've heard this. See, but the problem with this saying is it's a, it's a complete, utter, blatant lie. <laughs> right? Again, we, we say this, right, to try and make ourselves feel better, right, when we're hurt by words. But the reality is this is not true. Right, and this is exactly what the author tells us. He says, no, words are very powerful. And, and we need to remember that, not, not, just, not just when we receive hurtful words, but especially when we're saying words, because this is the truth. Right, is that words are powerful, and words have the power to hurt. Right, and they really can, and they do. And, and no matter whether you, you, you face, no matter what you, you 
accomplished in life, no matter what position you're at, no matter uh, you know, what kind of influence you have or not have, your words matter. Right? And your words are powerful. Right? This, this is, is a much more true adage. Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do permanent damage. That saying is true. Because the reality is we can all identify with that, can't we? We've all carried a statement or, or uh, you know, uh, um, words or an observation that somebody's told us that we've carried with us for years. You can literally just remember middle school, right? And again, the reality is, right, is like middle school is tough years. And again, if you think about it, and this is a lot of why, right, is because, because middle schoolers are mean to each other. And in fact, if you think about middle school, you know, you're going to go back, you either, you either hated middle school, right, which is the majority of most people, or you loved middle school. And if you loved middle school, you're the reason why everybody else hated it. Right? When you think about that, right? But we have to remember that words are powerful. Words are very powerful. Right? In fact, when you look at, at verse 9, right, he tells us, take your words seriously. Right? Pre- prepare well before you talk. Listening and studying play a big role in wisdom. In fact, that's what he says that the, that the teacher did, right? He, he studied, right? He um, he listened, right? He observed, and then he came out with his wisdom. And so, again, take seriously the words that you say. Prepare well before you talk. Again, so many times we fall into that trap, right? I know I've been very guilty, right, of open mouth and then think. Right? And, and we have to be careful. He's telling us, be careful. Don't do that. Again, then he goes on and expands on this thought in verse 10. Right? And, and, and then we realize that the way that we say things, the vocabulary we use, the tone behind our words are very important for clear communication. Right? That's exactly what he says in verse 10. He says, express truths clearly. Right? Because words are powerful. Again, they, are, they have the power to be destructive. Right? But they also have the power to be helpful. Right, to be encouraging, to be healing. Right, words are that powerful. Right, they are a double-edged sword. They cut both ways. They can be damaging, and they can also be healing. They can be divisive, right, or they can unify. James three two again tells us reiterates the importance of words. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Again, this is a very strong stance on the power of words. And I don't believe that James overspoke it. I think that's very true. If we can control our tongues... I think every other area of your life will fall in line. Right? And we, we've experienced this, haven't we? Whether it's discouraging words that we carry with us for years, right, or encouraging, life-giving words right, that we've received. Words are powerful. 
And then we, we see, moves on again into verse 11, where, where we get the second piece of advice. Okay, and the second piece of advice is the reality that truth can sting. The truth can sting. And, and this, again, we've all experienced this, right? We can identify with this, absolutely. Right? When we've heard that ugly truth, and it stings. And yet, we, we also know, right, just wisdom tells us that, that an ugly truth is way better than a beautiful lie. Right? An ugly truth is way better than a beautiful lie. Again, the reality is we cannot always follow our emotions. In fact, Scripture tells us that over and over and over again. We can't trust our emotions. And the reality is until your emotions are resolved, the facts don't matter. Yeah, I had a, a mentor of mine tell me that, you know, early on in my ministry years. He says, just remember, right, that, that until the emotions are resolved, the facts don't matter. And this, this has helped me in many times in life and in ministry, right? And it will help you too remember that concept. Right? That until the emotions are resolved, the facts don't matter because the reality is our emotions take us all kinds of ways. Right? In fact, and our emotions will lie to us to, to soften the sting of the truth. Right? The truth truly stings. And yet, what does he tell us in verse 11? He says that the truth is it's like a cattle prod, right? Or it's like the, the, the studded stick right? that the shepherd uses. He's like, it's painful, but it's also helpful. Right? Until we can truly admit the truth about where we are, we can never go somewhere new. Until we can admit the fact that I am fallen and sinful and empty without God, I can never know my need for a Savior. Right? Until I, I accept the ugly truth that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God... Right? And until that moment, I can never receive Christ as my Savior and be transformed by His Spirit. Because otherwise, I buy the lie, the, the fancy, beautiful lie that I don't need God. But it's still a lie. Right? Again, that's the whole premise of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, right? Is that anything without God is completely hebel. And yet, that's the lie that we believe in this world over and over and over again. Again, the truth stings, right? but it's also helpful. And the reality is that a true friend will stab you in the front. Right? Your enemy stabs you in the back. Right? A true friend will stab you in the front meaning they will tell you the truth when they need to because they care about you, right? And they want to be better for you. Hey, again, as your pastor, I'll tell you the truth. The truth is you're a sinner and you need God. That's the truth, right? But the next step of that truth is that Jesus lived a life, sinless life on this earth. He died and he rose again to save you and to wash you clean and to transform you into a new creation, Right, and to put you into this faith journey that you continue to be transformed by his spirit every day when you're more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. And that's the whole truth. That's what God wants for you. 
right? And you join that journey of faith by praying and receiving him as your savior, accepting his love and grace and forgiveness and being set free, right? That's the truth. That's the foundational gospel truth, right, that everything else in life is built upon. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus meant, right, when he talked in John 8, 31 and 32, where Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right, but notice, though, we have a part in that truth, right? Is it one, we have to believe in him. And then we have to be faithful to his teachings. Right, and that's our part of the deal. He paid the price, right? but we have to accept it. We have to surrender our own will and our own way, right? And, and let him set us free. What do you need to be set free from today? Yeah, maybe it's that, that foundational truth, right, that, that I need to be set free from my sin. I need to be saved. I need to receive Christ for the first time in my life. I need to join the journey of faith. Right? If, if that's where you're at today, if you're, if you're here as a person or watching online, and maybe you're just checking out this whole God thing or trying to figure out who God is and what does salvation mean, I'll tell you that that's what salvation means, is you, you surrender your heart and your life to him, and what you set free from is everything. All of your past your present, and even all your future, right? You receive Christ, and you join the journey of faith, and you ask him into your life and surrender. You get off the throne of your heart, and you put God on it. Hey, now, if you have already done that, you've already joined the journey of faith, but then the next question is what's holding you back in that journey? What's keeping you from moving forward? What do you need to be set free from today? Right, whether it's a habitual sin or an attitude or an emotion that you've been trusting that's lying to you, right? Or just busyness of life, right? What's holding you back? What do you need to be set free from today? Again, what do you need to tell someone that you're afraid to bring up, right? What's that, what's that thing that you're like, man, I know I need to tell that person that. I mean, it's holding me back. I see it, like, I need to be a good friend, and I need to stab him in the front, but I'm afraid. What's holding you back? <laughs> what do you need to be set free from today? What do you need to help somebody else be set free from today? Yeah, the truth is, the truth absolutely can sting. Right? It's painful, but it's helpful. And God wants to help you. And he does that through spirit, and he does that through Christian community. And then the, the, the third piece of advice he gives us in verse 12 is he just reminds us, tells us to don't overthink life. Don't overthink life. Again, the reality is that seeking wisdom can turn into a never-ending rabbit hole. Right? And we've all kind of been down that before, haven't we? Right, those moments, right, when we're kind of, we're seeking all these things, and oh, I got I to gotta figure this out, I got to think it through, I, I need to fi find the next right thing, and, and go through, and yet there's that moment where you just have to sit back and say, hold on, I think I'm overthinking it. I think I'm making it more complicated than it needs to be. 
right? And again, when, we, when you think about that, and, and again, we see this play out like, like all through all kinds of different things in life, right? We just overcomplicate it. See, many of you know I, I coach golf, okay? I golf for the high school, and again, one of the things I see in just golfers, and I, I do it myself, right? Because you get in and we get, get overthink the golf swing, right? Overthink all the technicalities and, and all the, you know, all these kind of things. And the reality is you just got to hit fairways, hit greens, and make putts. It's not that hard. Right? And again, it's easy to think through it, yet, and yet we know if you've ever golfed, you know that it's not that simple, right? But it's really easy to overthink it. Right? It's really easy to, to, to overcomplicate it, right? In fact, we do that in so many things in life, right? And that's exactly what he tells us in verse 12. He says, be careful. Be careful. Don't overthink it. Again, do your due diligence, right? But don't put your faith in something that's going to let you down. Okay, don't put your faith in something that's going to let you down. Because the only thing that will never let you down is God. Hey, don't put your faith in a government. Hey, don't put your faith in an organization. Don't put your faith in a church. Don't put your faith in a person. Put your faith only in God. Hey, because everything else will let you down. Other than God. Again, don't overthink it, right? Don't overcomplicate it. Again, we, we need a healthy balance. Right? Between wisdom and faith. We need a healthy balance between wisdom and faith. And I think that's one of the things that, that Solomon realizes as he goes through the book, right? Is that again, we can overthink it, right? We can rely too much on wisdom and leave faith behind. Okay, or we can also do that, right? We can just, just say, no, I'm not gonna learn anything, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go 100 percent faith. And he's like, no, there, there needs to be a balance, right? Faith and wisdom complement each other. In a lot of ways. Right? And we need to find that balance. Like he says, don't overthink it. Again, we just, as he, he talked about throughout the book, he says, just accept your lot in life. I mean, he brought that up more than once, right? We've read that several times. Just accept your lot in life. Again, what season are you in? And be faithful to that season. Bloom where you're planted. Right? And let God work through all of it. And as we know, right, there, there are seasons in life. I mean, that's, this, again, one of the most famous passages out of Ecclesiastes 3, you know, talks about all the different seasons of life. And, and he brings those up right, and knows that. And, and yet we, we see all throughout Scripture, right, of these wise, godly people that recognize the seasons of their life. Right, and even when it's time to move on to the next season. Right, just don't overthink it. Just accept it and move on, right, as God leads and directs your path. In fact, as we look in the life of Jesus and, and these different seasons, I mean, we see Jesus took different seasons in even his life, right, in public ministry. There was a time, right, when he said, no, my time has not yet come, right? I mean, we see the beginning of the Gospels. He keeps telling them that. He's like, no, it's not my season, right? And then he gets to the place where he embraces that season, right? And in fact, we see how, how God kind of set up the right people to, to pave the way for Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist was one of those people, Right? And he, again, had to recognize the seasons within his own life, right? And, and the, the bigger picture plan that God is using him for. And when it's time for him to, 
to take control and be out front, right? And when it's time for him to step back. In fact, one of the most famous verses from John the Baptist is, is found in John 3, okay, verses 29 and 30. Okay, and this is where, again, Jesus starts to embrace it. And he starts to become popular and, and more famous. And, and John's disciples come to him. And they're like, John, what are you going to do about this? He's taken all of your, your clout, right? He's, he, he's, he's taken your, your following, right? And, and this was John's response. He says, no, therefore I am filled with joy at his success. For he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Again, this was a very wisdom-filled and faith-filled, truth-filled perspective from John. Like, no, he's like, I had my season in the limelight, and now it's time to, to push it to Jesus. Right? He needs to become greater and greater. I need to become less and less. Again, because worldly wisdom would tell John that he needs to compete with Jesus. Right? He needs to put out, you know, some some bad social media posts and, you know, pay the money for the, for the smear campaign on TV and, and push Jesus down to keep, to fight for his own place, right? He's like, no, that's, that's, that's not right. I will submit to the season I'm in. In fact, we see, you know, we have our t-shirts out there. These are our most recent shirts, right? And on the front of it is this In the Journey logo. Right, and that's literally what, I mean, this, this says, right, less of I, more of him. I mean, it comes from this verse. Right, after we join the journey of faith, right, then we're in the journey. Right, and I, I'm faithful to the season I'm in, right, and what God's telling me to do, what the next step of my journey is. Right, and, and again, we want to follow John's example, right, of being less of me, more of him. Yeah, as we see all of this advice, right, then, then um, again, the author kind of concludes this whole book, right, with, with his advice on how to ensure that life is in heaven. Okay, this, is, this is how we, we can make sure, right, that life is not going to be heaven, that we can find meaning in our time on earth and in our eternity. Again, we see, we've looked at this this these verses, right, through the entire series, right? This is the conclusion. How do we ensure that life is in heaven? The final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You know, as we look at this conclusion, right, this, this, this author, this, this overall advice, right, about Hey, the world is hebel, right? Everything that's not of God is completely hebel. This is how your life will not be hebel. And he gives us two very specific things to do and to live out. Okay, the first thing on your outline, I encourage you, circle the phrase, fear God, and put a one next to that one. Okay, that's the first step to make sure that my life is not hebel. Okay, is fear God. Again, realize that God is God and I'm not. Right, that I am in need of a Savior, and that I need to accept him, I need to join the journey of faith. I need to fear God. Again, that's not, that's not a punishment fear. Right? In fact, this fear of God means exactly the opposite. It means a respect for God. Right? A respect to God knowing that he will judge us. Right? I mean, that's exactly what he says right? in verse 14. He will judge us because he's a just God. 
but re- also realizing right, that we'll never pass the test of, of sin. And so I accept the way that he gave us to be forgiven, to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and join the journey of faith. That's the first step. Fear God. And then I encourage you to then circle the second phrase there, the one that says, obey his commands. Circle that phrase, and next to that circle, put a big old two there. Right? There's the second step. After I'm a follower of Jesus, then I have to live it out by journeying forward in my faith every day. And as God continues to transform my heart and my mind, then my actions will naturally follow as my life becomes more about God and less about me. Again, we see these two steps, right? Fear God, obey his commands. Okay, these are exactly the same steps that Jesus gives us as his church in Matthew 22, 37, and 40. When Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, for this is the first and the greatest commandment. And a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Again, Jesus tells us exactly the same thing that that Solomon concludes with, right? Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate life, right? It's literally two steps to success. (laughs) Love God with everything you have and obey his commands by loving other people. Don't overcomplicate it. Because the simple truth is everything is Hebel except for God. Everything's empty. Everything's meaningless. There's no substance if God's not in it. Everything's Hebel except for God. Will you live out your faith? Here's the series final thought as we wrap it all up. Hebel is not the last word. Life does have meaning with God. Are you ready to join the journey that is not Hebel? Like I said, I don't know where your faith is today. I don't know whether you, you join the journey of faith or not. I don't know whether you're, you're stuck in your faith or maybe you're, you're growing by leaps and bounds. Again, wherever you're at in your journey, just be faithful to the next step. Right? Because everything is Hebel except for God. And you'll never find meaning if God's not in it. So we can just stop trying. And wherever you're at in your faith journey, I hope that you will take a step forward today. Lord, we thank you that we can truly put our faith in you. God, that we can trust you because you love us more than we can imagine. And God, I pray, Lord, that we can receive the truth that you're trying to get us to see. God, open our eyes, God, to what's holding us back. God, open our eyes to what really matters. God, help us to not overthink life, but to find true meaning and freedom in you. God, help us to truly live out those two simple steps, to fear you, God, and to obey your commands. And God, we know that they're not as simple as we state them that way, but God, help us to be faithful to them. Help us, God, to take the step that we need to take, God, to to move forward in our own faith. God, and through doing that, we can show this world who you are. Lord, invite them into the journey as well. Lord, as we go this week, 
I pray that you help us, God, to truly live out our faith. God, that we won't leave it here, but we'll take it with us. And God, we will pursue you every day. And that every day, God, we will be more like you than we were the day before. Continue to guide us, Lord, as we live out our faith, as we are your church, as we shine your light in this dark world. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.